0: Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hugan, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Yesterday, we started looking at God's eternal nature. Um, but just like God's works... God's person isn't something to be merely studied. Because God who is who he is, something in turn is demanded from us. Puritan Stephen Charnock has said that we should never think of the excellencies of the divine nature without considering the duties they demand and gathering the honey they present. So we've been looking at doctrine, duty, and delight of each attribute. And so with that in mind, uh, what is a duty or some duties that God's eternal nature demand from us?
1: I've noticed that you've been quoting quite frequently from Stephen Sharnock. Yes. Um, who is he? Why do you keep quoting from him? Why? What did he write?
0: Yeah, well, he wrote this massive volume, as you <laughs> brothers know, called The Existence and Attributes of God. It's a two-volume set. And uh, he's a a Puritan. Uh, He – I don't know. Was he one of the Westminster guys who helped write uh, the Westminster Standards in the Shorter and Larger – I couldn't
2: answer that question okay. now.
0: well the point is is that if you, you've heard us talk a lot about the shorter Catechism here on the Gospel for life and we've talked about the Westminster standards and that you know was written largely by the the English and Scottish Puritans uh, they are favorites of of all of us around the table these are this is rich rich reading you open up a book and it's like you're transported into a whole new world and so um, read some Puritans.
2: But in answer to your question, you know, what is, our, what is our duty with regard to God's eternal nature? I think, in, you know, again, from Psalm 90, in light of God's eternity, after um, Moses in his prayer reflects on God's eternity, uh, he says in verse 12, "'Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom.'" And uh, we need to be wise enough to meditate on our lives and uh, understand that they are, but for a moment. Mm-hmm. And but at the same time, we were made for time and eternity. We were made. We were made uh, for everlasting life. And so we live in time now. Uh, God promises eternity to us. Uh, we are not in the same category as as God in His eternal nature, but. Ecclesiastes says that God has set eternity in our hearts. There's something that we long for that. And so there, we have this everlasting hope within us and that this world is not all that there is. And, we reckon, and the idea of teaching our, us to number our days and applying our hearts to wisdom, we need to recognize we're responsible moral beings and we're going to come before the eternal, holy, and just God. And so god's eternity and man's mortality uh, are going to um, actually join together to persuade us that faith in Christ is not optional it's Absolutely. you know uh, God came into out of eternity into time and space to rec- rescue his people
1: every person we come in contact with is an eternal being mm-hmm. and that should that should be a somber reminder of the necessity of um, the proclamation of the gospel.
0: Yeah. C.S. Lewis, I, I gotta grab right there because C.S. Lewis had this a great quote uh, where he says, "The dullest and most uninteresting person that you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare." And you know, you, you said that every person that we meet. Is a person that will live forever and ever and ever, and that's you know really what we're what, one of the duties that we have here is to fix our eyes on not just temporal things but eternal things. That that should change everything mm-hmm. the way we live. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I don't think there's a passage of scripture that would sum up our duty and delight in response to the eternity of God better than than Psalm ninety, um, which was already quoted. But that phrase that we may get a heart of wisdom. You know, and wisdom. This idea of knowing how to live life, right. and when you yeah. understand, I'm only here for a short time. It's going to help you. Yeah. It's going to help you realize some things are more important, right, than you think. As we,
2: uh, Proverbs says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom." Absolutely. And and the knowledge of His in eternity is really pushing us to that that wisdom. Um, we need to realize what Christ has done. You know, with in relationship to um, you know life and immortality. Uh, 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 says, He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That's eternity past. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel.
1: Mm -hmm. The gospel for life. Yes, Oh, you even see this this concept of of how circumstances of life can shift priorities. You you don't have to live very long to, to encounter people that have had close encounters with death that changed their whole priority system because they realize at that point that the stuff of earth is is fleeting mm-hmm. um, that, that what we see here is is temporal. Mm-hmm. And then they have this, this moment where they say I was close to passing from time into eternity. I need to change my priorities. I need to change where my attention is being um, placed. Mm-hmm. Um and I think psalm ninety is is stressing you don't need about a with death to to drive that home. That's how we're supposed to live with our our eyes fixed on that which is unseen.
3: Mm-hmm. I've been studying through Titus just personally' getting prepared to to plan a church book all about uh, ministry and being a pastor. And I was struck by how Paul describes himself. And Paul even gives kind of a reason for his apostleship in the beginning of that epistle. And he says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began Uh, and how he views one of his purposes as an apostle to help people see this hope of eternal life that they have in an eternal God who's promised eternal life. And I think that's not just a duty I have. First and foremost, I have to do that with myself every day. Mm -hmm. But that's one of my duties as a pastor is going to be constantly trying to help people take their eyes off of the here and now and think of eternity and think of heaven and to think of an
1: an eternal God. This is a slight duty going into delight, so well, I hope that's okay. No,
0: we'll just go there right now. I mean, uh, so we have talked a little bit about duty. Then, what is our what is our delight with this uh, attribute of God's e- eternity?
1: For me personally, His eternity allows me to just trust Him. I mean, if He's not bound by time and space, He knows my days. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. He's not experiencing them with me. Um. So he knows what's what's in my tomorrows, and he's more than capable of dealing with that. Which is which are in my tomorrows. These aren't surprising him; mm-hmm. they're not coming out of the blue. And he's going, "Oh boy, what are we going to do about this?" Yeah, mm-hmm. he knows. Yeah, and so I can pray to him as one who knows, as one that's that's before me in all possible ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So for me, a, a part of the duty is to trust, and the delight is that I can trust. Yeah.
0: For me, one of the, the, the delights that really hit me hard when I was studying this attribute is that we will never perish, but we're going to live as long as God himself. Um, now, I, I don't mean that we enter into that eternal nature. What I mean is that as long as God continues to exist, we will live that long.
1: And he'll exist forever. And that is… In him you know, I live and in, move and have my being. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, you know, the, our eternal because because we're facing a, an eternity, uh, and because it's, for us it's going to be with God, the age to come is not just an improvement over the worst of this world; it's actually an improvement over the best of this world. I, I, you know, we were talking uh, earlier this week about you know why people don't long for heaven because they don't realize that this is an improvement on the best. Uh, of this world, as well as the worst of this world. Uh, we're told uh, God's going to improve our best pleasures. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, God has prepared for those that love him. And so uh, Christ is going to be better than the, uh, than the world's best forever, and um, you know, we're, we're going to be experiencing those things. We can say with the psalmist. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I think there's something so special about that verse, right? Because not not to over-spiritualize it, but who's at the right hand of God? I mean, Jesus Christ is at right. the right hand of God. I mean, and, th- and this is the, the core and essence of eternal life. You know, one mm-hmm. of the most – one of the favorite verses that the Puritans constantly preached on was John 17, 3, mm-hmm. where jo- Jesus prays to the Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Right. That's a very interesting way that he phrases that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say eternal life is living forever. He says
3: yeah. eternal life is knowing God mm-hmm. Right. It's not just a quantity, it's a quality right, of right. life. Mm-hmm. My dad became a Christian when he was in college. Just somebody evangelized him right there on campus at the University of Southern California, and he uh, put his trust in Christ right, right there. And as just a baby Christian, he said one phrase that was one of the most comforting things to him was, I'm still going to heaven. Yeah. And from everything from something big going on in his life mm-hmm. to, you know, USC losing a big football game, you know, he could, I'm still going uh, to heaven. And, you know, there's a simplicity to that, that I think every Christian can hold on to that. I can put my head on my pillow tonight, no matter what happens today and say, I'm still going to heaven. And that's because that hope is based on an eternal God. And we have this inheritance that first Peter one says is imperishable, undefiled, unfading kept in heaven for us,
2: a kingdom that can't be shaken. Yes. You know, if uh, if an infinite, eternal, all-wise, uh, all-powerful God loves us and tells us that He's planned experiences for us in the age to come that exceed our ability to imagine, uh, then we can conclude that these experiences will be inconceivably better than our best pleasures in this world.
1: Moses, when some of the final words that he was going to speak to the, to the nation um, before he was going to die, he said, there is none like God who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Mm-hmm. And I think Moses was saying to the people of Israel, you're worried about what's going to happen on the other side of this river but God is there and God is eternally going to uphold you and you're in his everlasting arms. You can trust what God has promised and you can trust what God will do. Mm -hmm. And I think the same message is for us in our tomorrows. We can leave them in God's hands. His Mm -hmm. everlasting arms are sufficient for our days.
0: Yeah. Amen. Well, maybe we'll finish here just by reading Revelation 22, three through five. Uh, In that state no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Well, this has been the Gospel for Life. We thank you for listening with us. Uh, Please check us out at com. You can find out information about our upcoming conference that is going to happen November 9th and 10th. You can register right there on the website. We'll see you next time.